Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, what is going on, people? You know that sound. It is the Unfiltered Band. It means another episode of Unfiltered coming your way here and now. It is an October Unfiltered Live. You can find us right now. If you're watching already, you know this, but at Twitter at Casey Stern on the timeline, live every day, noon Eastern. Also on not only my YouTube channel, which you could find in my bio on Twitter, but also at Believes as well. That's B L E A V. As always, we're presented by our good friends at Bet Online. You could jump on board the Unfiltered Revolution anytime and get your swag as well at the Believe Shop. All you got to do, get over on Twitter at Casey Stern along the way. And jump in if you are listening belated Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcast. Good to have you as well. We've got a busy show today. Gordon Nazari going to join us from Believe in Chargers. Get a chance to talk about uh, the five for fighting. And that's the fighting that the pods have done to not give up. And the five they got in that fifth yesterday. Talk to John Gibbons, my buddy. One of the, the craziest great dudes in the game. Longtime manager for the Toronto Blue Jays. He'll give us some insight on the ALCS heading into game two tonight. The Astros... 17 strikeouts for the Houston, uh, uh, for the New York Yankees, for the Astros pitchers yesterday in game one. And only twice were the Astros hitters struck out. Luis Severino trying to fix that. He'll go up against Rember Valdez. He of the quality starts coming up in game two later on tonight. He fell. Heater will join me later. We'll talk more on Padres and the Phillies as we continue to get you set. As I mentioned, as always, we are presented by our good friends at Bet Online. Football is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your football betting needs this season. Latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends as your continued source for all the sports wagering info you could ever want. Bet Online's got live betting, free contests, live scores. They got giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, even golf. All you got to do is head over to betonline.ag. Betonline.ag. You join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use this promo code. It's BELIEVE, B L E A V, to receive all of your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. When the game starts tonight in game two of the ALCS, Severino and Valdez, you could find that, of course. Uh, over with my good friends uh, and uh, former teammates over at Turner at TBS. In game two, the uh, Yankees looking to get even. They were not able to, after very little rest, but lots of momentum, put it on the Strohs yesterday. Verlander, little difficulty early, but settled down. We'll get into that with John Gibbons in a bit. But yesterday, no difficulty in the middle of that game for the Padres to get some offense and turn it over to that bullpen, which has been dominant. And Borna Nazari is kind enough to join us to talk about that and more. He, of course, uh, hosting at our network on Believe, Believe in Chargers with that dude, Lorenzo Neal. What's going on, Borna? How are you, buddy? Casey, how you doing? Thanks for having me, my man. My pleasure, man. I'm 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 pumped. I I gotta you take me to your sanity level, uh, inning four yesterday, and then I, I want take me inside because I know you're a diehard. What what's the mentality, and how many people are you texting? What are you doing as you're watching that fifth inning take place in game two? It's 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 absolute euphoria. I I, I want to rewind though a, a, a few minutes sure. when when the Padres. We're down 4-0 in, in that second inning after a lot of lackluster defense. Blake Snell, I thought, pitched great. Just got super unlucky with a lot of bloop singles, bloop hits. And I, I was getting a ton of texts, over 100 texts, saying season, game, season. Like, at that point, if the Padres are facing a 2-0 deficit going into a roaring Philadelphia for games 3-5, to five, the Padres are in deep trouble. But, you know, I, I'd say kind of the, the story of game two was Brandon Drury and Josh Bell, two guys who have been trade deadline acquisitions who have mightily struggled for the San Diego Padres. But Bob Melvin has always preached faith, and he's always preached in continuing to ride with his guys even through the lows. You saw it with Trent Grisham, and you saw it yesterday with Brandon Drury and Josh Bell first getting it going with back-to-back jacks in the second, but also leading that charge in the fifth. So that fifth inning, you know, Casey, what I've noticed with this Padre team is they're not going to give you consistent quality at bat throughout nine innings, but this offense is potent enough to go on one avalanche of an inning, and that's sometimes all they need because of their great pitching and because of their firm bullpen led by Josh Hader. I can't believe I'm saying that uh, now to end the ninth. Yeah, it's amazing. Eight straight strikeouts now as he's setting postseason records. And you mentioned Hater, and I talked about this a couple of days ago, and Heath Bell will join us. We'll ask Heater about this. But the communication level with relievers has been a big story already born in the postseason. Clearly, we saw that with Clay Holmes and the Yankees and Booney and, and how not to do it, right? 
here's a situation where they figured out how to use Hader. It seems like more so after they got him. Look, it seemed like a, an eternity before he got his first save at home. And yeah. once they started using him less, and we saw this with Craig Council is one of the best managers in the game, but they had no choice to overuse Hader a couple of times down the stretch in the postseason, and it bit him eventually. How much do you think just the rest that he's been able to get and the way they've been able to kind of learn how to use him has helped him really become the guy that we're used to seeing? It's been huge because I think every time you've seen Josh Hader pitch for the Potters, I mean, it started out at rock bottom and that carried over from Milwaukee. And I think AJ Preller just kind of rolled the dice and gave up some guys to get him. But because you know, when Josh Hader's going right, it's a hundred up. That slider's devastating with its bite, its tilt. And he has that third pitch in that changeup that he doesn't use a lot. But when he does, he that means he's going right. The thing I noticed with Josh Hader was a lot of it was mental. There was a key moment in this season. All right. There was a key moment when Josh Hader started turning it around. And, and in his first few appearances, he was getting shelled. He, Casey was getting booed by his own fans in his first few appearances, allowing six runs in an inning. But there was a moment when his stuff still wasn't great. Bob Melvin throws him in a game in San Francisco in a, in a with a one-run lead in the ninth and says, you know what? We're, we're fighting for a postseason lives. If we want to make a deep run in October, we're going to need Josh Hader. Regardless, I have to throw him out there. He gets the save, and ever since that moment, he started getting better and better and better. So a lot of it was up here. But, man, I mean, you, you, I don't knock on wood, but when you give Josh Hader the ball in the ninth at this point, I, I, I can watch the game as a relaxed fan because I know it is over, over. It is uh, as close to trumpets as you can get without trumpets because they're on the golf course being played. As Edwin Diaz is counting money he's about to make in the offseason. A ton. Borna Nazari, a ton. Uh, you're going to get 100 mil. Closers don't get that. He going to. Uh, Borna Nazari joining us. Believe in Chargers. Uh, we're talking Padre baseball after game two. And you mentioned the moves that were made last year. And Alex Anthopoulos has done such a tremendous job with the Braves. But last year, everybody remembers Jock Peterson and Jorge Soler and Eddie Rosario and how big those acquisitions became in the postseason. Yesterday, to have all those runs produced at a Soto, who you expected, but also for Brandon Drury, and as you mentioned, Josh Bell. And, and I want to I hit on Bell here for a second because yeah. – you know, here's a guy who seemingly, I think the home run off Scherzer, you know, something seemed to happen in that at bat where you just saw he's a, a swag guy. And watching from afar, you're closer to it than me, you tell me. It seemed like he lost a lot of that with some of the struggles down the stretch, trying to do too much, make an impression in that city. It wasn't working. What kind of a change have you seen just even in the demeanor and the ABs that he's having now the last couple of weeks since the beginning of that Mets series and what to me was a turning point with that home run off Scherzer? Yeah, you, you, you thought it was a turning point. I, I think us fans can't discount the fact that it's hard. You know, you have your family, you're in a city, and and all of that changes, and all of that changes. And not only that, expectations change. The reason they gave up a lot of prospect capital to acquire you was for you to immediately deliver and produce and help elevate this city to new heights that this city hasn't seen. And I think a lot of that gets lost in all of these storylines and media lines. So listen, I'm not like here to defend Josh Bell and his lackluster production, but that's another factor to take into account when you're kind of analyzing these trades. But listen, I think with Josh Bell, it, 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 it's similar to the mantra that Bob Melvin's been preaching. I got to keep sticking to my guys. And there's just been a lot of ups and a lot of downs. I think from from my perspective, I think there's a little bit of flawed in his swing. I think he's standing a little bit too far from home plate. I think he's standing too upright. But listen, I ain't no hitting coach. I'm just kind of analyzing what I've been dissecting. You know, going to last night, I mean, it, it, it was absolutely huge because Josh Bell's a career guy who has pretty good splits on both sides of the play. He's going to hit, you know, he was hitting 300 in Washington on the left side, almost 286 on the right side. So he's going to be a pretty good switch hitter. The question is, why wasn't it translating in San Diego? And that could have been for a plethora of reasons. Nonetheless, what we have learned and what John Smoltz said on the broadcast last night about Trent Grisham, and this applies to Josh Bell, none of this matters. None of this matters if you're producing in the postseason. You're easily able to forget about the regular season. And Josh Bell, listen, had a tough series against the Dodgers, wasn't playing much. Maybe this can be the spark plug because that's tough as it's been. The Potters are three wins away from their first World Series in 24 years, which just sounds like I don't even have an adjective. I, I can't believe it. It's, it's stunning. There, neither can former players, I'm, I'm sure, who played for the organization for so long. And Heater Heat Bell will join us later in the show to discuss that, among other things. And by the way, two great scenes. One we expect in Philadelphia, where I don't know if somebody saw, but there was a tweet out today where the average ticket price 
And and I was I was shocked because I was not surprised to see the Yankees at four fifty a ticket, but five sixty eight the average for uh, Philadelphia. You want to talk about a hot ticket? It's going to be crazy there. CBP a great scene, but so last night was that in San Diego. Zach Wheeler quieted that in Game One. Clearly, they were able to do a lot better yesterday, and that to me turns Borna to the resilience of this team. They have done such a great job at being resilient. How much do you think that goes to Bob Melvin? Because Bo Mel, to me, is such a balanced guy to your point of sticking with his guys. And I know Dusty well personally. You think about the guys who succeed in a postseason. They are even keeled. You don't know if you're up 8-1 to one or down 8-1. to one. Here's a guy in Bob Melvin, 30 games over 500 one year. Hey, Josh Donaldson gone. Hey, Cespedes is gone, right? Okay, we got to regroup and figure it out. How much have you seen the culture change overall to this belief system we have now because of Bob Melvin? Is he getting enough credit for that, in your opinion? I, I think he is. I mean, there there is a faith. There is a conviction. There is a belief from the player standpoints to their skipper and Bob Melvin. And that's not something that the Padres were having the last few years with Jace Tingler. There was, it was publicly open about the torn clubhouse. And listen, I'll tell you, I can never be an MLB manager because I'm way too emotional. There are some, there were some tough moments in San Diego this year. And I don't know how Bob Melvin wrote the ship. They lost four straight games. And that last game they lost was to a rookie pitcher in Arizona in which they got shut out. And this is a guy who's making his MLB debut, who had a career 6.48 ERA in triple a, at that point, the Padres had a one-game lead in that second wildcard spot after acquiring Soto, Bell, Drury, Hayter. And at that point, all the players said that was kind of the first time Bob Melvin, quote, got mad at them all year long. Ever since that team meeting, they, those players have been playing together. So it's about picking your spots, right? If you're always going to get on your guys and scream at them, it ain't going to be like an effective parent, right? Always getting mad at their children. It's picking your spots and knowing how to keep that clubhouse in unison. And I think Bob Melvin has done quite quite a good job. And listen, Bob Melvin's still human too. He's going to tell you he's still going to make some mistakes in managing games. All managers are. Dusty Baker's going to make mistakes. Booney's going to make mistakes. Everyone is. But man, I mean, listen, how, how can you criticize somebody who's taking this team to their first National League Championship Series yeah. in 24 years, defeating the Los Angeles Dodgers, in which they hadn't won a series against them since June 23rd, 2021, until the National League Division Not series. that you're bitter. I love how you're not that you're bitter. You remember that day. And by the way, the ba- I, I was using the Star Wars reference and good parenting lessons you just gave, too, by the way, of uh, balance in the force is kind of what Bo Mel does. A lot of nice. balance in that force has been what we have seen from, and you see it up there on your screen if you're watching us, Ring Perks, who says, Grisham needs to get hot in Philadelphia. It's amazing how you go from a guy, and this is what happens. Look, Harrison Bader, and in the years, Eddie Rosario, a year ago, it doesn't matter what you do in the regular season, but as soon as then you get hot, it's like, okay, a couple of days without a home run, and now we, we're where Grisham needs to get hot. How impressed have you been, bottom of the order, Borna? He, some of the at-bats that we've seen out of Austin Nola, and by the way, how great was that brother-on-brother crime yesterday? But how about what the bottom of the order has done to give depth and take away the pressure from solely Machado and Soto and Josh Bell? Well, I think that's the reason why the Padres are where they're at right now. I mean, you take a look at this Dodgers series. It, it, what, the Padres didn't absolutely blow out the Dodgers. The difference in the game was one hit here, one hit there. In game three, it was the Trent Grisham fourth inning home run. Uh, you know, game four it was that big time hit by Jake Cronenworth. But I, listen, with Trent Grisham, and, and Bob Melvin has been preaching this as well, Throw away the regular season. It's done. Trent Grisham had the lowest batting average out of all qualified players in baseball at 184. But because of his plus-plus defense, because of his sneaky slug, they gave him an opportunity to start in the postseason. And what has he done? He's thrown it all away. He's felt better at the plate. He's seeing the ball. He's not chasing. He's expanding. I mean, he's not expanding, and, 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 and it's proved huge dividends. And Trent Grisham's kind of the main storyline of ever, that everyone's talking about because of the slug. But the true hero from that bottom of the order right now has been Austin Nola. Remember, this is a guy the San Diego Padres traded for back in 2020. They, go, they gave up the absolute house to get him. They gave up Andres Munoz, who's now the closer of the Mariners. They gave up Ty France, who's now their two-hitter for the next half decade. And that trade will always hurt the Padres. There will never be a way where they win that trade. But the reason they acquired Austin Nola is because what he was doing in Seattle for those first 20, 30 games is he was hitting the ball to all areas of the field. He was lasering balls. He was playing good defense. He was hitting 310. 
Well, don't look now, everybody. Austin Nola is hitting 321 in this postseason. He's lasering every ball. He's barreling every ball. His, ag his average exit below is above 100 miles per hour. And what he's doing is he's having quality at-bats. And that's what the Potters have also been looking for for since they've had a good catcher in Mike Piazza. I mean, it's the last time. So it's been... Yeah, it might, it, it might, it might who they had for like 14 minutes. I mean, Mike exactly. Piazza, a tribute video exactly. for Mike Piazza with the Padres. It, but I hear exactly. you. I hear you. Exactly. It's been plagued from, 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 from a catching standpoint in this franchise. And there's a reason why Austin Nola is playing catcher every single day. The pitchers trust him. They don't want to throw to anyone else. They don't want to throw to Jorge Alfaro. They don't want to throw to Luis Campisano. So what they're getting from Nola and Grisham and now guys like Hassan Kim in the bottom of their order, it, it, Casey, it's the reason we're here right now. Yeah, and look, think about it this way too. We don't pitch sequencing, and I remember years working with, uh, and I'll give him a shout out, my guy Kevin Kennedy many years ago, but talking about the importance and learning about pitch sequencing and just how confident where pitchers become when they know it's why Yadi or Molina, what do you hear pitchers say forever? I just look at Yadi, Yadi's mitt, and you just go with whatever he wants. And then now we got pitch comms and all these other different ways. But at the end of the day, here's a guy who blocks the balls when he needs to. So you could throw that slider in the dirt, that breaking ball in on the hands, and you know that you're safe. And the other thing is this guy is trusted by the pitching staff. And that pitching staff includes, and I want to ask you about this before I let you run, Joe Musgrove, who's just been fantastic. Um, I, for one, will tell you, and I, I put this out on Twitter at the time, but even though obviously I'm, I'm a Met guy, I've got, you know, 86 back here somewhere behind me. I'll learn the pointing at some point. Um, but you know, that whole thing was ridiculous. This guy's been brilliant. He deserves all the credit in the world. What he's done for his hometown team has been amazing. Now he goes on the road in what's going to be a hostile environment. And normally you would say, okay, well, that's going to be difficult. But after seeing what he did and what he went through in New York, with no offense to Philadelphia, it's like this guy just did this two weeks ago. I plan on him being dominant. Doesn't guarantee a win, but I'm at the confidence game three now with Musgrove on the mound at CBP. I mean, he's he's the he's the guy who feeds off that kind of energy. He's somebody who gets better with how crazy the crowd gets. And this is a pivotal game three, right? Usually the team that goes up 2-1 has a clear advantage in, in, in winning a series. And the Padres, you know, Padres fans, we we've, we were telling ourselves this, and of course we wanted to go up 2-0, but facing Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, we were going to take a split all day because the reason and the way to get to this Phillies team is to get through their lack of depth. And you're telling me that Joe Musgrove doesn't have a pitching advantage over Ranger Suarez? Yeah, that is the key to this Padres. It doesn't team's always success. work out that way, though. It's not that easy. It doesn't. Obviously. It doesn't. It doesn't. But that's the key that we think can lead this team into their World Series run. You know, Ranger Suarez has been good, but for Joe Musgrove to be your number three starter should be giving the team lots of confidence. As you said, Joe's a big game pitcher, and he proved that in Queens, you know, in, in game three. You know, everything's working for him the cutter, the slider, you know, the, the, the two seamer, the four seamer. So it's going to be interesting to see how fast Joe settles. And us Potters fans are like, let's just have a quick one, two, three inning. That's all we need. Because usually with good starters, it's the first inning that you can get to them. So we're going to be noticing that. But listen, I think Potter fans are feeling as good as ever heading into game three. I, I, listen, both of these teams are on special runs right now. <laughs> the question is, which one has more magic in them? And I don't think we're going to know for, for another few days. Yeah, look, expectations are high. How expectations are important. Uh, well, you know, look, uh, Juan Soto, who has, look, after you know, we know about the defensive play yesterday, but here at Ring Parks needs to hit more home runs and more hits in general. He's really underperforming. Look, since the postseason has begun, he has started to show himself, get more comfortable. These are human beings, and people forget it numbers 22. That's about his age as well. Still a kid, a lot still left to prove. Born, I appreciate you, man. We'll do it again as we continue out through the series. Enjoy it, and I enjoy the show. Believe in Chargers and uh, I, as a, as a football guy, my Giants are five and one. So I'm just just want to point that out. I, I, I'm jealous. They'll probably, be, they'll probably be five and five in four weeks. So I just got to point that out to you. Regardless of your record in four weeks, you have a keeper of a coach, and I'm oh not sure my god, Dayball has so... been amazing for another day. But you are so right. I mean, if if I don't know how love can be put into one thing, uh, but uh, I would put it into Brian Dable. Appreciate you, Borna. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, my man. All right, there he is. Born in Azari. You can watch Believe in Chargers and follow him on Twitter as well and get all of our guests information across the board, the Believe Network on Twitter and at Casey Stern. If you're on Twitter, if you're watching on YouTube as well, uh, we've got a lot still to come. John Gibbons going to join me in here in a couple of minutes. Got Heath Bell coming up in about 10 minutes as well. So when you think about the Padres and you think about what they've done, they have been able to score a lot of runs in bunches. They have gotten runs in specific innings, even though over 
overall, the offense has not been dominant. Yesterday, that was the story as they're able to get five runs in the fifth inning and totally turn that game around. Blake Snell, obviously, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, got shorted by the defense and some of what had happened to him. He didn't pitch as poorly as the numbers would have seen. Uh, the, the layoff of 32 minutes, he was going to be gone from the game. Clearly, that was not going to work out for him. And, uh, you know, the rest is history as far as the Padres are concerned. They only care about the win in game number two. And this is this is why I love my next guest, Gibby, John Gibbons. So, and Gibby, it was my where, wife, my technical director. Where are you coming to me? From the bed? Uh, <laughs> I said you might want to move, babe. I mean, are you, are you coming to me live from the bed? Hey, Case, don't read anything into that. I'm not reading. Hey, I'm, it's a family show. There are kids, there's baseball, kids, and stuff. But I, but I just, I just saying, I, I knew, I know you get help out sometimes from the kids to figure out how to use all this technical stuff. Your better half was setting this up for you. I just love how you're sipping coffee. You could sipping some coffee, hanging out in the bed with us on unfiltered. That's right. That's right, man. Does it get any better than that? I'm at my best when I'm, uh, uh, I guess, kicking back and. I love it, dude. I'm not complaining. I love it. I love it. I I appreciate you down here in Houston and uh, visiting her family and and, uh, just making do, brother. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. So you're in Houston. You didn't go to the game, did you? For are you going to either of these two? Okay. No, you know it's funny. The Yankees were in town. Right, I think it was right after the All Star break. That was down here, and and Josh Donaldson let me left me a couple tickets, and I went down there. So I I didn't want to call him begging for tickets, you know, because it's hard to get to the playoffs. So I was hoping, well, maybe he'll call and say, "Hey, you want a couple more tickets?" He never did. Okay. So well, you didn't just lay him. I mean, honestly, you know, and I love JD, but he's 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 got enough to deal with at the plate right now. You didn't just lay him out for not getting your tickets live here on the show, but it's it's all right. We'll we'll get the message to him through Yankee PR. I want I want to ask you about this because you you've been. You've he's 39 years old and you've had to deal against him and and manage against him for years because he's been pitching steamingly since I don't even know forever. But Justin Verlander last night, how much are you sitting there, even though we know he's a Hall of Famer, Gibby, impressed that at this age, coming off the surgery, he's able in a game like last night to have a little bit of a rough start and still settle down and find his stuff in that nasty curveball the way he was and be that dominant Justin Verlander by the time he got to the third, fourth inning last night, game one. You know, Case, I mean, he's, he, uh, you know, he's, it's hard to describe what, what he's accomplished in his career, you know, and then, he, you know, he hit that lull for a while there, and then, then he just and he went down to Houston and just came roaring back, and then, like you, like you said, he had the elbow issue. He's really a freak. That's why he's a Hall of Famer. That's why he's had the kind of career he's had. Um, you know, somebody asked me yesterday, uh, a friend, you know, what do you think Verlander will be any good? Because, I, you know, he had a tough one against Seattle. And I said, yeah, you always expect him to be good, you know, uh, but he is a little bit older. Maybe he's, maybe he's tiring out after a long season, you know, maybe he's not as sharp. So that's always in the back of your mind. But then, of course, like you said, he kicked it in last night. But what he's got that uh, any, any team he faces, you know, he's, he's got that psychological advantage, you know, unless he's really off. Yeah, the opposing team's going into that game knowing, you know what, this is going to be a dogfight. If this guy's on, you know, he's going to be tough as all, uh, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. Um, so he's he's got that in his hand already. But, you know, uh, and like you said, it was a little bit of a slow start, but then he, then he kicked it in. And what was it, like 17, the Yankees punched out 17 times? Yeah, they, they struck out 17, 17 times to two, which, it, which tells you the difference. And by the way, Yankees have hit more homers than anybody, right? You know that that's how they're going to roll. But it is, we saw this, and look, you're managing at the time, in 2015, 2014, those Royals teams, they really yeah. gave us, even in this new era, an idea of how you can win with, look, look how far the Guardians came, and why? Because Tito had a club that had a great hitting approach, they take what they get, sure, they get, you know, crapped on because they hit a lot of singles, but all of a sudden, you know, you can, when you get some speed with that, which is what Kansas City had also, right, you can get score some runs, how much easier is it in those pitching meetings, Gibby, to set up against a team like the Yankees in a series where you know they're so feast or famine with that homer? Well, you, well, you know, if your guy's on and you got a good one on the mound, you know, you, you're probably going to shut them down for the most part. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of the, the trend in baseball now, you know, that uh, nobody frowns on strikeouts anymore. You know, it used to be you, they'd run you out of the game or they'd send you down if you punched out or it was – it was just it was just something you didn't if you did that you weren't a very good hitter right if you struck as many times as guys do nowadays but now with every everybody's uh everybody loves the home run or and there's no doubt home runs win i mean even in that game yesterday it was a it was a fairly close game right 
But in the playoffs, you know, you're facing the best pitching in baseball. That's why they're there. You know, you you, you got to do you got to be able to manufacture some things. You got to put the ball in play sometimes. And per, the perfect example, like you said, the Kansas City Royals. You know, they were tailor made for their ballpark, and you know what? They all ran the bases great. They put it in play. So you were not going to beat them in, in close ball games or tie ball games late. They were they because they can manufacture a run with the best of them. You know, so when you see- do that. No, of course. And look, and, and later in the game, when you're facing guys like Presley, it makes it so much easier for him to toy with you when he could put the spin on it. And how dominant was he again yesterday? Dusty has to go to him for more than three outs, not necessarily the way that he would want to have to have to do it. But Rafael Montero got into trouble, gives up the homer, and they do it. Uh, you know, I thought if you're looking for it, it's tough to find positives in a loss, but in a long series, you have to do that because you're still trying to win four out of seven. Giancarlo Stanton, you know, look, made a pretty athletic play in the outfield field his at bats seemed to be better at least with the hey everybody's focusing on Aaron Judge right now Gibby it seems like Stanton is getting more comfortable and that obviously makes you know Booney a please because the Yankees are way more viable when it's not just Judge in the offense and everybody else oh oh yeah I mean he, he's really the key to get that team you know that's why they acquired him when, when they picked him up from the Marlins you know and they're pay, paying him a lot of money he's always been one of the top home run hitters right but he, I mean, he, when you talk about hot and cold, can be somebody that can be hot and cold. It's that guy, right? You know, I mean, when he goes cold, he goes cold. But when he heats up, but yeah, because you know that their approach going into this uh, this series is a, you know, we let's stay away from Judge, right? So the guys around him have got have got to do something. Um, and so it's almost like, you know, with Houston, you almost have to approach Alvarez that way, right? But then you even even in yesterday's game, the bottom of the lineup, the no name so called no name guys on the team carried the Astros, right? Um, but it yeah, Stanton Stan gets hurt a lot too when he when he's out there a different team. But when he when he starts heating up, well look he got had the big home run the other day to beat beat uh, Cleveland. So uh, but but he's key. But I just it just uh you know I've been in baseball my whole life. You know I you we know how it is, right? And I just I just hate watching baseball when there's so many so many strikeouts. And I know sometimes you got to credit the pitcher, but it's like gosh, you know I mean they get they they wear they can wear a path back to that dugout. Oh, I mean, well, the Yankees seventeen times, Gibby. And, and look, and here's the thing: I mean, the, the rules should change some of that with the shifts. We'll see. I think the base running with the base pa- bases and all that. But uh, so that I could touch all my bases before I let you run. I'm going to bug you again and have you back on next week. Next week, I wonder if it'll be from a sauna or jacuzzi. So I got to ask you: <laughs> uh, are, are you are you I'm a George? Man, you know, remember, I have no cold your cold sores, sores are gone. Your cold sores. Are you are you a George I'm Carlin eating, guy? I'm eating better. I'm eating some vegetables. Well, you got to be careful. Were you a George Carl? Are you a George Carlin guy? Do you like George Carlin, the late George? Carlin? I, yeah, you know, I saw George Carlin one time in concert in nineteen eighty-one or eighty-two. Yeah, in spring training down St. Pete. Yeah. Okay, when you were twelve, because I don't want to give away your age. So I got to ask you this: He used to have one of, one of the great Carlin bits ever was about when you go to the in-laws and you're you're at your you're at your wife's parents' place, right? Right? Right now? Is right. that right? Okay. Yeah. So he would have these great bits about when you go to a hotel. Or, you know, you go on vacation or you go to the in-laws, places to keep your stuff. And he said, you got to have somewhere to keep your stuff. Where in your room can you move the camp? Like, do you have, it seems like just a bed and a wall. Did you have that bed moved in today? Like, do you have anywhere for stuff or you just had nowhere else to sit? In case it's a small little place, I got stuff over there on the floor. I got right next to me on the floor. I was talking about putting a couple of nails in the wall right here. And you to see my you see my jeans hanging from there, but you know you do. You gotta make you gotta make do. You are certifiably <laughs> nuts. You know I love you. I appreciate you, buddy. I'll bug you to come back on next week. Thank you, Gibby. In case my pleasure, pal. All right, anytime. There he is uh, from his bed. Uh, you, you can't. You just can't make this up. It's a family show, but you can't make this sh- up. Uh, we continue on October unfiltered. I'm curious that the take is. I I know he was. It was watching laughing of. Uh, of heater heat bell joining us here on October 5th. So he, let me question. Um, we all know like managers, they got to be certifiably crazy in this game. And, and Gibby's one of the great baseball yeah. people, but what's your take on doing a podcast from the bed? <laughs> um, Gibby's definitely one of those guys, you know, he, he, he had me a short time in triple a. So um, if he could put a bed in the, in the, um, in his <laughs> office, he probably would have. <laughs> I would think so. I would think so. I want to, I got a lot to ask you. I want to start here. The resilience of this team, 
You're in the fourth inning yesterday. Snell gets bit by obviously a lot of things, much more than just, you know, his pitching, but the line didn't look good. And you get into that fifth inning and I've called it like five for fighting, like the hockey penalty, but five for the fight that the Padres have in them in that fifth inning to put that together. What was your take on them once again here, as we've seen now the last three, four weeks or so showing that resilience in that big inning in the fifth? Well, I mean, everything that's gone on with the Padres this year, you know, they didn't have Tatis to start off the year. Um, all, you know, they got hot early. They did really well mid season. They kind of fell off and they were kind of fighting the Dodgers, you know, for first place. They were in first place a couple times, you know, only by like maybe a half game or game. And then the Dodgers just got on a tear and everybody's like, well, you're not going to win. Cause it's the Dodgers. The Dodgers finally showed up. They finally woke up or whatever they were saying. And then it was like, well, they might not make the playoffs. They need to make a go big trade and you go, make a big trade. And then after the big trade, all the excitement getting Soto and bell and everybody, um, you know, Tatis is not coming back, you know, PEDs or whatnot. So it's just, it was, it it was a roller case. Yeah. So, and, and I think these guys finally got together. What, what made them so good early in the season is they were a team. They were a unit the first month of the season. You saw them fool around with each other. And then somewhere along the line, they, they lost that. And then honestly, the last two or three weeks of the season, they went to a football game up in Seattle. They went to a concert. Um, I forget what concert it was, but you saw a bunch of them there and you saw them like get together and be a family again, be a unit. And, uh, you know, they get knocked down. They're like, it's okay. We'll come back. You know, they just don't have any fear. They kind of, it's kind of where like everybody's counted them out. Like the Mets, really good team. I think we just caught them at the right time. And then the Dodgers are a really good team. I think the Dodgers were planning to play the Mets. And then all of a sudden we showed up and they just took us for granted because they beat us 14 times the regular season out of what, 18, 19 times. So technically they should have beat us. And it's just like, you know, Philly has, you know, Philly's Philly. I mean, they're always tough no matter what. And I feel like it's just, nobody's giving the Padres any credit and the guys in the clubhouse believe in each other. I mean, I think, they would say their biggest hero is Kim, you know, playing shortstop. So I think everybody rallies behind him. And, you know, during that fifth inning where they scored five runs, Kim got that base hit to kind of start it off. And when him sliding in from first base at home plate, I think everybody right there was just like, we're coming back. This is us. This is us. So they've been fun to watch. You mentioned the regular season dominance and Heath Bell joining me in October unfiltered. And of course, for those of you, Apple Spotify watching belated, you can get us live at noon Eastern every day through the postseason. I, I want to ask you, because you mentioned and, and just to point out 14 and five during the regular season, the Dodgers in 88, they faced, they stopped that whole Mets run that was supposed to be more than just 86. The Mets had won 11 out of 12 during the regular season against them. Regular season doesn't mean anything once that turns into the postseason. I want to ask you, though, about the leadership, because I know in talking to you years ago, you're one of the guys who always had the importance of taking younger kids out in spring training, doing things to try and build all that camaraderie. I know that was important to you. How much have you watched Manny Machado grow as a leader this year? I've I've seen him grow. I mean, uh, Manny's talent has been unreal his whole career, but I think his maturity of last year to this year to really this year, he's kind of molded into that veteran that people want to go play for because he's not Manny Machado. He's a stud. He just kind of does his thing. He doesn't talk to you. He's going to put your arm around you. He's going to, he's not going to come and like yell at you and say, you need to run out. You know, he'll put his arm around you. Hey man, you should run out of that ball, this and that. Now the next time you don't do it, then he might chew you out and that's fine. But I think he's trying to be that, that leader that everybody can look up to. And if you have a problem with somebody on the team or a situation, you go to Manny, Hey Manny, this is kind of going on right now. And I think he's good with the front office and everybody, the players and coaches where he can, he'll go up and say, Hey, you know, I've kind of noticed this is going on and won't like call a player out and say, Hey, so-and-so told me this is going on. It's like, Hey, Um, so seeing him mature as a player, is great for this organization. It's great for him and his career. It's really fun to watch because some guys, when they're young and talented, they don't ever mature because it's like, hey, I'm I've been good my whole life. Why do I have to change? Mm-hmm. And he's molded into this great mentor for the San Diego Padres. And you know, hopefully he stays a Padre for the rest of his career. It seemed like either that when 
the Tatis, the pinworm scenario happened. Machado took it on himself. He said, no, this is this is my team. We're not going to wait for this guy and, and really seem to take on that onus. He's had a lot of help. One of those guys clearly is Brandon Drury, who I don't know if if uh, Adam thinks he was kidnapped, but Adam Gross gets in on the you – know, you could join us during the chat. I believe Adam may be in, in the C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I Cincinnati or somewhere where Drury played. He's been given up on by a lot of folks. But how about the job that, that Drury and Bell Soto you expected? And mm-hmm. we know that he will come around and have hopefully well beyond this contract many years in San Diego because it'd be great for him in the sport. But how about the job of Drury yesterday and Josh Bell, who again comes through? He didn't even know where he hit it at the time. But both <laughs> of those guys coming through in three different ABs with huge, huge hits and ribbies yesterday. Yeah, the, the, both those Bell and uh, I kind of I kind of joke that Bell's my, you know, brother from another mother. But um you know, Drury and Bell just they've helped the Padres out immensely. Everybody, you know, looks for Manny and Machado and or um and Soto rather and and everybody's looking for that. And we're with Bell with his power and Drury with his power, it's kind of like a sneaky power. You kind of forget about them and then you just throw a pitch and they take you yard. And it's one of those things that pitchers don't fear them, but I think they should fear them more than they realize because they have that power. They just don't do it consistent basis like Manny does or Soto. So it's just, and they haven't really created a name for himself, but they're starting to. And it's just one of those things. It's nice to have a little bit here, a little bit there where, you know, when you need something, Bell's having an unbelievable season. He fell off a little bit, but he's starting to heat up again where he's getting multiple. He led the, I think at the trade, he led the national league with multiple hit games fell off a little bit for the pods a little bit, but that's why we got him is because he's going to get on base and he does have some power. So he'll hit like a single or a double or a double and a home run. You know, he's just not looking for the big hit and Drury is just sneaky where, you know, you forget about him and comes up with a big big double or the big single or the big home run to kind of get things going. So it's been, um, it's, those are really nice trades to, you know, with besides the Soto and the Harden trade. I want to talk uh, craft with you as as a pitcher and a reliever in the communication and how important it is. And I want to take two totally different scenarios, and let's start with the not-so-good. In the Yankees series, they made it through it, but still, I think it, it, it didn't look bad. The optics, as we say, are not good, where you got Clay Holmes saying that he's available, and you got Booney saying that he's not available, and it's not an emergency situation. Just how important, especially in the postseason, Heath, where – Things are changing on the fly. Is that relationship between reliever and that manager before the game to understand the possibilities and what the communication level needs to be daily? Yeah, when you have a manager that believes in you, it it it's it's night and day. Because like I'll give you an example. There's a couple times that I played that I played five I pitched five games in a row and and I was very honest with my managers of telling me like, hey, I'm at eight ninety five percent. And if you knew I was at like 93 to 94, I was good to go. And I just would always talk about like, Hey, if I pitched three days in a row and I felt really good, we had a good conversation is let me go play catch. And then I'll talk to you. So let me, how my arm feels. And I'll let you know, because, you know, we walk in the clubhouse, you feel great. Every time you throw a ball, you see how your stuff is moving. It might not move as good, but your arm feels good or vice versa, where your arms are a little tired, but everything is moving really nasty. And, you're like, you go to your manager and tell him. And when you tell him, Hey, I'm good to go if you really need me. And then all of a sudden your manager doesn't use you in that situation where normally if you had days rest and he used you, then you're like, well, does he not believe me? Does he not want me out there? Does he not trust me out there? So you start second guessing yourself and every manager has to have a relationship with especially every reliever down there. If you just, if you're bullpen, if you're a manager and you're bullpen guys, and you're just like, okay, those seven or eight guys down there, I only know one or two of them. The bullpen's not going to really trust you or like you as much. And it's not about likiness. It's just about you want to go and perform the best of your ability. And you, you're you going to be very honest with yourself. And you're going to be very honest with the coaches. But if the coaches can't be very honest with you, then what are you trying to be honest with? Then it's like, well, do you even want me here? Do I want to, you know, then I'm going to, then it, then it goes out there as, pitchers well i'm going to show you that i'm better than you think i am and then what happens is you don't perform as well is because any pitcher knows you may even overthrow right Heath, in that spot yeah if you overthrow any pitcher knows if you just go out there and execute your pitches you don't have to do too much you don't have to overthrow you don't have to make this curveball is harder as fastball better just normally do what you do and don't get 
don't have the moment get caught up into the moment, as I say. So, and sometimes when you're trying to prove something to somebody, you get caught up and I'm going to overthrow and make this slider nastier than normal or make this changer drop more. And what happens, it usually doesn't drop. It usually doesn't break and it goes 400 feet behind you. So, and then the manager is kind of like, see, I knew it, you know, and then you're basically justifying why the manager never put you in. But if you just go out there and you have a good relationship, and I always say this is the best, best way to manage is just be honest. You know, if you're a manager and you came up to a guy and say, hey, I'm ready to go say, yeah, I know you're ready to go, but I want to stay away from you. So I'm probably going to stay away. But if I really need you, I'm going to call upon you as a pitcher or as a player. You're going to be like, "Okay, I really want to go. But this is a team sport. It's not all about me. So if he really I'm going to trust in those other guys. And if he really needs me, he'll call upon me. And that's the easiest way to manage. Just be very honest with guys. Don't be like, yeah, you're my guy if I need you. And then don't need you. Yeah, so, you have to, and that's why he you got to respect the way that Tito handled Bieber because coming off the injury, got a Saya guy. That kid wanted to throw. It is not about he didn't want to go. He kept bugging and breaking the door yeah. down. And Tito knows that. Look, it's no guarantee if you start him instead of Savali that the Guardians are still here, but certainly would have been much closer to one. Look at the Yankees yeah. and how Verlander handled him, but he wasn't. He what? But he at least told him beforehand, "Hey, I'm not not letting this. I got to get in your way." Hater is a different scenario because it seemed like, you know, Bo Mel and that staff really understood better how to use him, Heath, as they kind of learned about him and using mm -hmm. him less. And he's gotten so much more comfortable. How much of what you're seeing at a hater just comes down to confidence and, and comfort level now where he is in San Diego? I think it's it's really has to do with comfort level. I mean, when you change catchers, you, you catchers really are in sync with you and it's hard to understand you know, relievers, especially closers, we're a little nuts. We're a little all over the place. And we say things that are real quirky and some, you know, catchers have to learn the relationship and you got to have to build a relationship. It's almost like if you get traded as a reliever, you need to go out with the, the catchers for a, a couple weekends in a row and just kind of find out who that guy is. And, you know, as a pitcher, can I trust the catcher when I want to throw a fastball and he wants to throw a breaking ball? Can I trust him to basically tell me, Hey, don't throw this, throw this. I see something without kind of basically, you know, you just kind of that wink or that you give, like, if I want to throw a fastball and a catcher really wants to throw a curveball, you would throw the two down twice. And that would kind of tell, okay, he probably saw something I didn't see. So let's execute this pitch. But there's also some catchers. You're just like, no, your breaking ball is not that good. You need to throw a fastball in this situation. You're like, no, I'm the one who's throwing it. So that relationship. And I think with hater, he came here, he wanted to do really well for the Padres probably figuring out why Milwaukee was still in the playoff hunt. Why are they getting rid of me? Do they not want me? I want to probably be here for the rest of my career and they trade them off. So now I'm going to San Diego. So it's almost like I'm probably going to free agency. So I'll do the best I can here. So he has all that mixed up in his head. And then he has to go out and pitch and perform. Got a little, you know, probably unconf unconfident and didn't do well. Padres kind of got him back in, kind of probably started re relaying. They probably had started building a relationship. And then Hader's been lights out, the guy that we knew, that we've known for the last couple of years. And it, but the relationship between the pitcher and catcher is, is so big. If you, if they those two hate each other, it's going to be really hard for the pitcher to perform. And everybody will say that shouldn't really matter. It's just about executing pitches because doesn't the pitcher call every pitch? And I say, yeah, but if you have to shake off every single time, you know, the catcher's calling fastball and you want to throw a breaking ball. And then the next pitch, you want to throw a breaking ball and he calls fastball. You're out there just frustrated on the mound. Mm -hmm. Like, will you just listen to me and let me call? Do you not understand what's going on? So it's, it's confusing. I've been on both sides and it's, it's a struggle to pitch when your catcher doesn't see eye to eye. I've had it one time, a little quick story. He basically, I wanted to throw my breaking ball more, more often to a catcher. Okay. Okay. And he said, no. And, and said, then I was no? like, I'm going to call you off. I'm going to call you off and throw it. I'm not going to listen to you. And we, it was a couple months into the season. So you know what this catcher did? And I'm not going to say his name. I don't like dropping name drops. So he just called curveball every pitch that inning. That's all he did. He's like, okay. Well, I ended up striking the side out. And after that, it was almost like, okay, this guy's okay. Like, I should, maybe I should listen to the pitcher. But the catcher thought he knew everything. Don't worry. Don't worry. I got it. I know I know these guys better than you. And I'm like, how the hell no, could you sacrifice the team 
for that relationship for some me BS. I mean, that that's, that's ridiculous. No, it's, some guys are just, you know, they're prideful and some guys yeah. literally, yeah. especially yeah. catchers, they think they know it all because they say good catchers are good managers. And they say pitchers aren't good managers because we don't hang out. But I really think a pitcher that was in a bullpen could be a good manager, but catchers see everything. Yes. And they understand well, the pitchers. field general. Yeah. I mean, look, if so, it's got your Molina, you, there's, there, you could trust him, right? There's well, certain yeah, guys, right? right? <laughs> yeah, there's certain guys like Molina in the, guys. yeah. Well, but he, but here's the thing. Molina is at all-star games. He goes, Hey, he came up to me and you know, I'm going to pitch the, towards the end. He goes, Hey, what do you want to throw today? Or I come in the middle, you know, in all-star game, just one in. He's like, what do you want to throw? And I'm like, Oh, let's, let's just throw hard and get people out, you know? And he's like, all right, let's do it. But so that was, builds respect like, for you from him that he's coming to you that way, right? Exactly. When a catcher respects the pitcher, yeah. I think the pitcher will sure. respect the catcher and listen to the yeah. catcher more often. Yeah, and, and look, Greg Maddox had made Paul, careers at uh, you know Paul Bacco and many others because didn't want to throw to Javi Lopez. So there are certain times where, hey, look, if, if a guy's rolling, you want him to be most comfortable. One of the things that I wanted to ask you, and, and I'll let you run, and hopefully I can grab you back next week, but I – I know obviously as a reliever, you have no problem if a starter hands you the ball because that's your spot. But as you're sitting there watching game one, and it worked out okay, but here's Zach Wheeler, who, like, nobody hitting him. Like, the whole the 27 Yankees, this guy had such great stuff. His fastball was so on point. I mean, he was dotting it like DeGrom in game one of this series. <laughs> yeah. And I remember situations, Heath, where one that comes to mind was Jordan Zimmerman many years ago, and Matt Williams made the mistake, had the Giants on the ropes, was throwing basically a no-hitter, and you got Posey and Sandoval coming up, and he put Drew Storen in because he's the closer in the ninth inning, and all of a sudden, the, I remember the hitters after the game, I was in the locker talking about, we lit up, thank God that guy's the hell out of there. You got Tyler Anderson, goes 86 pitches, gets taken out, the Dodgers lose. You've got a situation with Nestor Cortez where he was really, look, a, a three days wrestling, brilliant. And they took him out. And maybe we thought Eloisa was good, but maybe Booney went to the bullpen too early. What's your take on how many times the numbers are taking pitchers out when the feel says you're going to help the hitters if you remove that guy for the game? How, how are you seeing this as you're watching that play out? I'm seeing it like when you use analytics too much. I mean, look at Blake Snell a couple years ago with Tampa. Right. It's the simple when you're using analytics too much, it it can hurt you big time. And I think with especially with pitching, because some pitchers are just they have it that day. Some some reason those hitters, even though they hit 300 off this guy, just can't hit them. And they're so flustered where they bring in a reliever. At least the hitters like, OK, I don't have to deal with him anymore. You know, where it's OK to go, you know, as a reliever. When a pitcher's on, you know he's on, and and what you're thinking in the bullpen is if he needs my help, he's probably not going to need it. But if he needs my help, I'm there. I'm not going to be mad and be like, well, I could have closed out this game. They'll be like, dude, he was filthy. He was on tonight. And I think the hitters, it's so about confidence, understanding when a when a hitter just doesn't feel confident, it doesn't matter if the guy's throwing 80 miles an hour or 70 miles an hour knuckleball or a 98 mile an hour. Then he's not confident because I remember, I think it was Billy Koch with Toronto that threw hundred miles an hour back in the That's day. Right. Cal Ripken said to me once, he said, for some odd reason, when Billy throws, it looks like it's 80 miles an hour to me. It doesn't look a hundred miles an hour, but to other guys it does. But I know some guys that throw 88 and I can't hit that at all. So it's just some nights are on, but analytics will never tell you hey, this guy's on tonight and the hitters aren't seeing it for whatever reason because there's no mathematical equation for that. So, And I think sometimes, especially in the postseason, it's ballooned and showed mathematics, that the cybermetrics or whatnot is not all, always correct. I think percentage-wise it's there, but you know, here's the other part. Why do you, back in the day, why did guys do great when, they're, when their child, they just had a child born or it was the, their birthday? They, the manager started them because of their birthday and they went like hit three home runs. There's no analytics for that. It's just a feel. It's a gut feeling. Hey, I, I, I feel like this guy's going to get a hit this time. It's a baseball thing. And we need to use baseball a little bit more and analytics to help the baseball knowledge that the guys have. And I think, you know, you won't, you'll make less mistakes down the road. 
There's a reason why the oldies but goodies, the Dusty Bakers, the Bob Melvins, the Buck Showalters, think about some of the guys who are in these postseasons now are some of those guys who are Terry Francona, right? Tito still using yeah. uh, using some feel. Uh, appreciate you and appreciate you for not doing this from your bed. Uh, I'll bug you again <laughs> next week, Heath. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for doing it. Next this. week I'll be like on the back patio or I'll lay, I'll lay right, in a jacuzzi enough. or something. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Just, just wear, wear shorts. Appreciate you, bud. Thanks. Good talking <laughs> to you. There he is. Heath Bell joining us as we continue. October Unfiltered is always presented by our good friends at Bet Online. Remember, we're with you here throughout the postseason at noon Eastern every day. We've got lots to come over the course throughout the League Championship Series and through the World Series. I want to hit a number of things that we spoke about with the guests. And if you want to jump in on the chat, you can either on Twitter at Casey Stern or right into the chat directly if you pop that open. Or you could do so on YouTube, and I'll get to your comments as we go. I want to look ahead here to game number two, Severino and Framber Valdez coming up tonight with uh, my uh, my good friends over and my former teammates at TBS just after 7.30 Eastern time. I, I, Severino is a guy who's got dominant stuff. We saw it with the no-hit bid towards the end of the season. And he's a guy who can get outs and get swings and misses. He has got to have a good start. And I don't mean a start overall, but I mean beginning to this game. One of the things about momentum, especially when you're dealing in that park in Houston, and I've seen it play out in the postseasons that I've covered with this team and a lot of these guys through the legacy of A.J. Hinch and then all the way now to Dusty being there, is this a very difficult place to win on the road. And you got to try and take the crowd out of that game. And for the Yankees yesterday, not making contact, having their issues, then going down and fighting from behind after it's four to one, really giving up opportunities where they could have built more of a lead when it was one nothing, broken that one one tight. They have got to the Yankee bats come through and give Severino a little something to play with. Because the one thing you know about Framber Valdez, and we talk about quality starts, and sometimes it's it's an overblown statistic, but overall. What this guy has done is he has proved consistency. You know, he's going to keep you in the game. He's going to give you a chance to win. There's no way, for the most part, that Valdez, and now maybe I said it, maybe it'll help the Yankee fans, but that he's going to get blown out and give up five runs in the first inning. He's going to be there. He may give up three early. All of a sudden, five innings later, he's still going to be there. With Severino, sometimes more feasterman, obviously a guy who's still, you talk about you know, rehabbing off an injury, working himself back to that, you know, go back to, there was a first half of the season where he's an all-star, you know, three, four years ago, pre-injury, where he was, you know, coming into that break as the leader for Cy Young in the American League. This guy can really throw, but they have to find a way. I'm curious to see how the lineup looks tonight, and I don't think it's out yet, but for at least uh, live when we're doing this, not for you Apple and Spotify and, and podcast folks, but I think, you know, for the Yankees, they have to try and find a way to make as much contact as possible. And whether they want to look at splits and numbers against Valdez, they want to look at lefty righty or how that's going to go. You know, Josh Donaldson defensively, we know obviously that he's still terrific at third base, but he has been made to look silly. And, you know, it's one thing when it's Verlander, but he's been made to look silly a lot. Sands the at bat where he had that walk off grand slam. I think it was a granny where he had that walk-off, I know it was a homer, against Tampa when the Rays were trying to cut it to two and a half. It was arguably the biggest game of the regular season for the Yankees. It was where they took a deep breath and held that division, the AL East. But outside, that, there are not many at-bats where Josh Donaldson has done anything. He's not giving you a thump. It's not like, hey, he's striking out four times, but the fifth is a three-run home run. And I wonder, even though Kiner Falefa, again, continues, and it was mentioned by Ronnie yesterday, Ron Darling in the broadcast, to have issues in terms of the throws. So I don't really feel great about that necessarily at third base. The defense is going to tick down. Gold glove for you know, IKF or not in the past. You wonder, you know, had a hit yesterday. Can he find a way to get more contact? Is he in the lineup? You know, where Peraza, Cabrera, what kind of names can you put in there, mix and match, to help make the at-bats at a Rizzo, at a Stanton, at a Judge, at a Torres, as effective as possible. Because right now, you look, even though Glaber, you know, numbers-wise in the leadoff spot, it's not like he's blown anybody away with OBP. He's the guy who can hurt you with one swing. He's the guy who got on base a couple of times in two key at-bats, stole a key base in their Game 5 win against the Guardians. You've got a guy in Stanton who's playing with a lot of confidence. You've got a guy in Anthony Rizzo who's always going to be able to come up with big hits and a big A-B or get hit by a pitch. And you've got, of course, Aaron Judge. You've got to find a way around those four to get as much contact in the lineup as you can because if you're striking out 16, 17 times a game, you're going nowhere. You're not beating this team or any team. You're certainly not beating this team in Houston. And for the Yankees, 
you know, playing this out in terms of this series, losing game one is not the end of the world. But you go down 2-0, the idea that, oh, well, the Yankees are home and Garrett Cole is going to be Garrett Cole, who gives up a ton of home runs. The Astros have got tons of thump. There's a lot of extra playing there, which going back to what Heath Bell talked about, and he's right. You don't know how that emotion is going to work. Here's Garrett Cole, who's in a situation in the, the World Series against the Nationals. And I was there. I was there on the field after the game. I was there in the room where Garrett Cole was already. He wasn't an Astro. He's a Scott Boris client. I mean, it happened 10 minutes after the game because he wanted to be out there. And AJ didn't put him out there. And, you know, in his mind, it was what could, right to what he said. They don't trust me. I don't belong here. And he might have left anyway. But. He's going to have all that emotion, all those things going. Sometimes, especially with a high-velocity guy who, when Garrett Cole misses, he misses middle-middle, and that's why he's giving up all these homers. You have no idea. They're guaranteeing Game 3 is going to pitch great and go win. Yankees got to find a way to win this game tonight, and I think you got to have to – you have got to get to the Swiss cheese, if there is any, somewhere in the middle of that bullpen. It's hard to say there is any with a team that gave you 18 innings, right, throwing up zeros and nil not a nothing zilch in that game that they won against the Mariners where it went 18 and Pena hits the homer and Garcia goes six innings. They're so, so deep in the rotation. They're so deep in the middle, but every team is going to have most of their vulnerability be between the starters. And when you get to the closer, it's why in a postseason the bridge has hurt so many managers. There's no better example over the years, people than what happened to Don Manigley. And then the beginning of Dave Roberts's term with doc and the Dodgers with Clayton Kershaw to Kenley Jansen. Too many times trying to go Kenley in the eighth where he would screw up, not be as good, or he'd give you a great eighth. Then in the ninth would blow something and Dodger fans would lose their mind. The games against the Cardinals where Kershaw was left a little bit too long against the Carpenters of the world, right? Now Yankee in those spots, because why? There was nobody to trust. There was no bridge anywhere. It was, it was broken. You had to make a jump like in a video game and hit X twice to just somehow get from the starter to the closer everywhere there's a weakness in there. We've seen it. We saw it with the Phillies yesterday, right? That's why you're always trying to turn the teams to the relievers that set up in your favor. The Yankees can't do that as well as Houston. And yeah, Presley probably not going more than three outs after what happened yesterday. But you've got to find a way to work Valdez, to have deeper counts, to give competitive at-bats, and to hope that you can carry things into that fifth, sixth inning if you don't jump on them early. And that's where for the Yankees, it'll be interesting to see if Severino doesn't have it, where do they go? You know, they have a tax team that came in with all the momentum and the feel and the love of what they did in game five against the Guardians. And regardless of the rainouts, you know, that that plays. I mean, certainly an excited team, even though they're exhausted and they're going to really love the day off coming up tomorrow before game three coming up this weekend. But they're, they're going to be, you know, exhausted. They're sitting there coming in, and their pitching staff has been totally overused comparatively to where Dusty gets to kind of mix and match and play with the pieces however he wants. The length of Severino tonight, who's in the lineup, and how much contact can they make against Valdez, and can the Yankees force themselves into the middle innings and the middle inning bullpen arms and not let Dusty turn that over and put things into his favor, albeit Montero used yesterday, gave up a homer, and you get the situation with Presley who went more than three outs. That coming up, lots of storylines, obviously, in Game 2, which will begin tonight just after 7.30 Eastern on TBS. Now, as far as the NL series is concerned, which we talked about a lot today, they're 1-1 clearly, obviously, after the win, and now this is going to be quite a scene at CBP coming up on Friday night. That game on FS1, it'll be the only game in town. Ranger Suarez is going to get the start. He's, look, been very good down the stretch of the season, been already good in the postseason, already pitched a game one in a series for the Phillies, and he's going to have that crazy home crowd to his favor. But on the other side, how do you not feel like Joe Musgrove is now that heel in WWE who is loving every minute of this? Even though the, the last game he pitched, he got a chance to help the Padres at home and have that big win and take that team over the Dodgers. But you go back to the start before that with the ear checks and everything else. And, you know, look, Philadelphia, being fair, that CBP environment looks better than City Field did in terms of what they're bringing. But because I think it's certainly the fear and a lot of what had happened those two weeks going in probably doled down that New York crowd. But with everything that he had with the you know the ear checks and the and the crowd and being in New York and everything he was dealing with, he seemed to eat that up. 
He seemed to embrace it. That's what you want from a guy who's in that spot. I remember many, many years ago when I'm covering the Red Sox in 04, hearing Kurt Schilling at a press conference say there's nothing better than silencing 50,000 Yankee fans. You want a guy who, even if he's not going to deal and pitch well and could have an off night, you want a guy who looks at it and approaches it that way. Musgrove going to approach it that way. Expect him to pitch well. We'll have a full-blown preview coming up tomorrow when we're here at New Eastern, which will get you set up for game three. Again, the only game coming up tomorrow night. Uh, Sweeney Murdy going to join me among our guests tomorrow from WFN Radio and SNY. We'll talk about and cap game two, which is coming up this evening, and we'll see whether or not Severino is able to hang with the guy in Valdez. Again, watch him. You see it all year. Even if he gives up a couple early, he's still going to be there. And Dusty knows it. Come fifth, sixth inning, not something you could say if Severino does not have it. Our guests, they brought it. One from a bed in John Gimmons. Uh, and then, you know, two professionals. And they said that joking. I love you, Gibby. Uh, as uh, Borna Nazari, great job. Uh, you can catch him on uh, Believe in Chargers. And, of course, Heater Heath Bell, who also does Believe in Padres here. But, uh, you know, one of the greats and and a, a reliever who understands and, and speaks the game as well as anybody. We'll get those guys back on here as we continue. We'll get you back on here tomorrow at noon Eastern on a Friday. Get you set up for game number three as Citizens Bank and those $568 a ticket average seats, hello, in Philadelphia. Well, you know, It says freedom. It's not Philadelphia free, clearly. We'll find out what that game brings us as well. You can catch me on Casey Stern, at Casey Stern on Twitter. Join the Unfiltered Revolution. Get your stuff at the Believe Shop. Talk throughout the course of the days and nights on the postseason and much, much more, as always here at October Unfiltered and Unfiltered. We're presented by our good friends at Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.